Good morning. You guys sound as tired as I am. My name, <laughs> my name is Dylan Adams. I'm a deacon in training and the youth leader here at Pierce Point Community Church. Welcome to everybody here in person and everybody watching online. Hopefully my wife is watching online. Uh, I left her at home today because I needed to be here a little early to prepare better for this. So um, you better be watching online. <laughs> so each deacon in training is given, you know, different topics and different scriptures to, to, to set, dissect, to kind of answer the question that they're given. And I'll be honest, when I was given my question, um, I was like, ah, I got it in the bag. Wasn't worried about it. And like my, whether I'm preaching a sermon or preparing something for youth or doing something for Kids Point or working on a Devo, my way of doing things is, you know, throughout the week, throughout the two weeks, however long I have, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll lightly study, I'll chew things over in my head, I'll kind of put something together, and then I'll finally sit down and start putting it on paper. Now, I've grown throughout the years, and how I've, you know, prepared on paper looks a little different, but overall, it's that idea of, you know, I'll chew it over, I'll study, and then I'll put it on paper. So, I was very confident when I was given this, uh, this question that I wasn't going to have to worry about it that much. I still studied, of course. Like, you, you have to rightfully handle the word, word of the Lord. But I sat down to start putting things on paper, and I was like, I am screwed. <laughs> um, so my question is, can Christians lose their salvation? Now, that is a big topic, and I cannot believe that I am doing a devotional on it because that is... I'm pretty sure we could preach on a, a month on just that doctrine alone. There is so much that, so many different viewpoints and so many different ideas on this question alone. Uh, and I feel like I've read all of them and my branch is going to fall out. It's just, just going to fall out and roll on the floor. Um, that being said, today we're going to be chewing through a little bit of Hebrews 6 in regards to that question. Now, Here's what I'm going to do. I've looked at a lot of viewpoints on this, or a lot of viewpoints for this. I'm going to give you a few different viewpoints in regards to specifically Hebrews chapter six, verses four through eight. Um, give you a few, a little bit of understanding, and then tell you where I lean and kind of answer the question toward the end. So be prepared. <laughs> um, and I hope one day to be able to preach a sermon on this because I need so much more time than I currently have. That being said, let's hop into Hebrews. So first off, to understand a little more of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. We don't. Um, there are many people they think that maybe wrote it. Um, they believe that whoever wrote it would have been a, a Greek, but also a, a Jew, somebody that had an understanding of the Jewish culture. We know that because the book of Hebrews is chocked full of references to the Torah, those first, I think, five books of the, the Old Testament, um, so much. That being said, they would have had, been, had been writing to people that understood the Torah. So it is believed, not confirmed, but believed that he could have, whoever this writer was, and again, there's a lot of people that they think could have wrote it. There are, mo there are moments that, you know, they said Paul wrote it, um, a lot of people disagree with that and just because of the style of writing and all of these things. Um, there's even some scholars that believe maybe Aquila and Priscilla wrote it. 
um, which is interesting. And the, the, one of the reasons they say that there's not a name on it is because if, if um, Aquila or Priscilla wrote it, uh, I can't remember which one's the woman in that, in that sense, but um, then a, a woman would have been the one to mainly be the writer of Hebrews, which not allowed at that time. So there, there's a lot, of, a lot of things to look at. That being said, we don't know who wrote it, but it's still important. It still made its way into the canon of Scripture. Um, now, in order for it to do that, it, it, it is kind of accredited to Paul, even though everybody's like, probably not. So, um, that being said, he wrote whoever he or she wrote to a group of people that would have had an understanding of the Torah. They would have had to, to understand this. Um, trust me, I would know. <laughs> I've studied so much of this. Um, and specifically, Jewish people that would have had an idea of the Torah. And you see that because there's a lot of Jewish language in this, in this book. Even the, And there's a reference in Hebrews 6 where it talks about baptism, and that word they use for baptism isn't even the normal word that we would see in the New Testament for baptism. Uh, it's actually more of a word they used for when it came to um, like rites of cleaning and things in the Jewish religion. It, it's more of a Again, the Jewish language that we that we see there, so you can tell that he's writing to a group of Jewish people that are Christians because it's very clear that these are Christians as well. There's your context for the most part. There'll be more to come, I promise. Um, so if we look at Hebrews six, starting in verse four, this is gonna get real messy real quick, but just buckle in. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. And have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the power of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God, and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it, and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for, for whose sake it is also tilled, receive a blessing from God, but if it yield thorns and thistles, is worthless and, and close to being cursed and ends up being burned. So let's walk through that. So there's a lot of different viewpoints in regards to this beginning part where it's talking about those who have been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. There are some camps that are like, even though all of that language is very like, very much like covenant language, Christian language, there are some that say, ah, they're talking about unbelievers, which if you really look into that, Unbelievers are not tasting of the heavenly gift. They're not partakers of the Holy Spirit. These are, this is talking about real deal believers, Christians, right? Most likely Christians that were also, that, that came from, from the Jewish religion, but Christians nevertheless. Now, then we, we run into something very interesting. They, they've done all these things, and then they've fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Now, it is impossible is an interesting phrase, and there are some that try to be like, oh, you know, all things are impossible without God. And it's like, mm, the Greek doesn't support that. that uh, there's other uses of this Greek word impossible, and I'm not going to pronounce it, but... Um, because as Adam said the last time I tried to preach a Greek word, we pronounce it right, and I can't, so here I am. Um, but this word is the same form of impossible used when it says it's impossible for God to lie. 
is, is impossible, impossible to please God without faith. Same word. Impossible is impossible. Now, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. I'm going to give you a few camps of belief in this scripture, and I'll be fully honest with you. I, don't, I haven't fully landed on one, but I will tell you which one that I lean toward the most at this current time, but I do hope one day to be up here again um, with more knowledge in this whole thing, because after this, I'm just going to go through the book of Hebrews as, as a whole, because it's a lot. That being said, there's a few camps here. So it's important to understand, more context, that in this time, as most times in the letters that are being written in this and the Bible, a lot of persecution, a lot. And a lot of what they're dealing with in regards to this persecution is something called uh, apostate, which is, again, they described it pretty well here, and some of the translations actually use the word, but it's somebody that has been a partaker of this covenant, right? And they, they turn their back. Now, there's two different forms of apostate talked about throughout many of the scholars and stuff. There's the form of apostate that says, okay, I'm being persecuted, and in order for me to save my life, I will deny Christ. And so, like, that's, you know, that's, that's apostate. They're turning away from the Lord, even though they've tasted of, of, of these things. Uh, that was a huge deal in that time, uh, to the point where some, some churches, like, after times of persecution, they, like, their main question would be, hey, um, did you deny Christ to save your life? Because it was that important to them to understand, like to make sure that people did not deny the Lord in order to save their own life. It should remind you of the scripture that says, who he wishes to save his life will lose it, but he who gives his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will, will gain it. It's this idea of like laying down your life for the gospel, for Jesus. Don't be an apostate. Now, the other side of that, especially in this sense, could be that... We have Jews that are now Christians. They've, they, they're, they're walking in this new covenant, and they have tasted of this new covenant. They've been redeemed, and they're, they're walking in this new covenant. But there are a lot of similarities in this covenant and the old covenant that they would have been used to. And it's interesting because even some of the things that we start with when it, uh, in regards to, like, the Hebrew 6 starts with, it talks about elementary teachings of Christ. Let us press on to maturity, which he's pushing them like, hey, you should be more mature. Like, like we should be mature, which as believers, we should continue to mature. We should continue to, to push to look more like Jesus. And he's trying to encourage them in this maturity and say, hey, this is what we should seek. Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from God, which, or, I'm sorry, of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. These things that are talked about there are not strictly Christian things. These are, these are Jewish things as well. The idea of washing and laying on of hands, that's, that's not a Christian thing. It's, it's, just, it's between both covenants, right? So there's another form of apostate that says this... Jewish person that became a believer has now, because of who knows, you know, maybe it's the persecution, maybe it's the just 
different, you know, them losing faith because there's a lot of faith language in Hebrews as a whole of encouraging their perseverance and their faith. I mean, we've got the, um, wow, I'm blinking on it, but it's the, um, I think it's Hebrews 11 that talks about like the, all of the people, the heroes of the faith uh, that, that we can go through and like he's encouraging, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them like remain in faith. It, by faith they did this, by faith they did this. That being said, this person goes back and picks up an old covenant. An old covenant that has been fulfilled by Christ and what he's done. So this is, this is where I kind of land here because it's interesting. If, if we're going to say that somebody that turns away from Jesus, there's no repentance for them, then Peter is screwed. I don't know if you guys remember, but Peter denied Jesus three times while Jesus is on his way to be crucified. Later, we see Peter redeemed. Okay, so that doesn't make sense. If, if there's no repentance that remains for somebody that turns their back on the Lord, then I'm real confused about how Peter got his way in there. I don't know if he slipped Jesus a 20 or what, but like he, 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 he did something, right? So that doesn't make any sense. But would, what, what would make a little more sense is if somebody has decided to go and pick up the, the old covenant, which has been fulfilled, they pick up these, these dead works, you know, they're, um, actually, the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear that the, the blood of bulls and goats can't wash away your sins. It can't. It's not, it's not enough. Jesus is a perfect sacrifice. One, one and for all. He's perfect. So if you go back as a Jew that, you, that is a Christian and you go back to this old covenant and you pick it back up and you decide, you know what, this is easier. A lot less persecution as a Jew. And you walk that out. There is no repentance in that covenant for you. There's no life there. Those are dead works. You, you can't earn your way into heaven. We all know that. There's, it's dead, right? Until you step back into the freedom that is Christ, until you step back under the covenant that is through repentance and faith, there isn't a, a, a repentance for you. There isn't. So that's kind of where I land in regards to the scripture because it makes sense that in this old covenant that has been fulfilled, of course there's not repentance for you in that covenant. Of course. You, the, the blood of bulls and goats, it doesn't work. And the Lord even, there's, it's all over the place but uh, throughout Hebrews, but it talks about like he never, he never wished of sacrifices. What he desires is obedience. What he desires is trust. Now, let's take a, back from, uh, take a step back from Hebrews 6 for a moment because I am... I'm going to pull Dwayne and go a little over time, which I don't typically do that, but Dwayne's not here, so somebody's got to do it. I'm the other Adams, you know? Um, I want to answer this question for you. Can Christians lose their salvation? There is something called, um, I'm blanking, it's uh, eternal salvation, etern eternal security, there we are that many, many people believe in. They believe that you say a prayer, it doesn't matter if you're six, doesn't matter if you're 30, you say a prayer, and then you go out and live your life however you want, and you are just golden. I'm sorry, but I, that's, that's just not the case. So, Matthew verse 7, verses 21 through 23 say, and we all should be familiar with this scripture, but I'm going to read it anyway. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do, ma and do mi many mighty works in your name? 
Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here's the important thing to understand here. You can be doing all, all the right things, but Jesus may say, away from me, I never knew you. Now, there's a part that some people leave off in that scripture, and it's this idea of being a practicer of lawlessness. That is the, one of the most important parts of that scripture, but people leave that off. Now, being a practicer of lawlessness is somebody that is practicing lawlessness. They are walking in that. Like, I am a, a practicer of lifting weights. I'm a practicer of working out, thanks to Ethan Englehart over there. Um, it's something I do five days a week. I'm, I'm, I'm working, and I'm, I'm, I'm learning to lift better, and I'm, I'm a practicer of these things. I seek these things out, more knowledge, more wisdom on how to do things better and more, more productive, right? I'm a practicer of that. In the same way, if you are a practicer of lawlessness, that is your motive in life. That is what you are doing. You are somebody that you are walking that out on a regular basis. On the flip side of that, as a believer, we should be, I'm going to say this, but don't, I don't want to take it out of context, a practicer of, of righteousness, a practicer of being representatives of Jesus. We should, our heart cry should be one of repentance, of saying, you know what, I'm going to walk in this life, and I'm going, to re- I'm, I'm going to walk in a way that represents Jesus. I'm going to walk in a way where I look more like Jesus every single day, even if it's a small little baby step. And I'm going to fail. But your heart still stays in that place of, I tripped, but I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to try again because God's grace is over me. I'm going to try to wrap this up, I promise. Um, It's important to understand that we've we've got this scripture in the the book of Romans. Um, Paul actually talks about it. He's talking about the law and how the law is given. And when the law was given, sin increased. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that they were given the law and they're like, okay, we got to do worse. That's not what happened. We were given the law. It's kind of a, a mirror for us to really see our sin, to see our sinfulness. It allowed us to understand how dirty we actually were. But what Paul also says is where sin increased, grace increased. Here's what I want, here's what I want to leave you with. It is possible that if you are a practicer of lawlessness, that you could... I hate the, I hate the term lose your salvation. You're not losing anything. You're giving it back. Salvation is spoken of as a, a gift, the gift of salvation. Um, our God is not an Indian giver. He doesn't just wake up one day and go, ah, I want it back. This is not what happens. But you can choose to give it back by the way that you use this gift, right? By the way that you choose to live your life, you can give that back and say, I know what I said, but my actions dictate what I really mean. Now, what I want to leave you with is I want you to understand that even though we can lose our salvation, please understand the grace of God is more abundant than we, we even fully understand. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Now, Paul warns us, does that mean that, our, that I should sin so grace abound? May it never be. No, of course not. But if today you're driving home from church and you're thinking about where, I'm gonna go, where you're going to go to lunch and somebody cuts you off in traffic and you just 
cuss them out, you're, you're not instantly going to hell. You're not, you're, you're, you're not in, in danger of the hellfire in that moment. Do you know why? Because if you're living a life of repentance, living a life of saying, I want to be more like Jesus, his grace abounds. Now, if this is something that you are a practicer of lawlessness, you might want to reevaluate your life. Now, even if you are, if you find yourself with somebody that is a practice of lawlessness right now, it's not too late for you. It's not impossible for you to return back, but it requires repentance and faith, trust, and a sacrifice that Jesus has made, and the realization that the life that you live is a life of sin and a life that you've been called from by the sacrifice of Jesus. You can lose your salvation if you're a practice of lawlessness, but if you are somebody that is fighting tooth and nail to be a representative of Jesus, to live out that life, his grace will continue to abound. You just have to, as Paul tells us, we have to evaluate ourselves on a regular basis, really understand where we, where we stand in the midst of all of that. And I promise I'm going to dig further into this and hopefully readdress this one day um, because there's so much more that can be talked about here. But at the end of the day, it's important to know that it is possible to lose it. But if you are somebody that longs to glorify the Lord, even when you mess up, don't think that you're in trouble. His grace does abound. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you have grace and mercy for us. We thank you that you're not hiding the truth from us, that you're not pulling the wool over our eyes. We thank you that your, your mercy and your grace is good and that you, you guide us and you convict us. You redeem us.